Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Risky Behavior, where no subject is off limits. Sit back, tune in, and enjoy a beverage with us as we explore controversial issues and answer your health and wellness-related concerns, ranging from nutrition and exercise to sex and prescription drugs. I'm here with co-host Dr. Shetha Chakraborty, who's a national media risk expert, as seen on CNN, the BBC, Fox News, and more. But don't just think this hour is all science as usual. After four seasons as a regular guest and food scientist on The Dr. Oz Show, Dr. Taylor Wallace, who the Huffington Post calls the nation's premier food and nutrition guru, will help me loosen lips and spill tea with special guests that you won't want to miss. I am so thrilled to introduce our viewers to Dr. P.K. Newby. She is a scientist, author, and entrepreneur, and has decades of experience researching diet-related diseases, studying how people make food choices and their impact on the environment, and teaching about, uh, teaching about why what we eat matters. She also speaks on all things farm to fork. She's the author of Food and Nutrition, What Everyone Needs to Know, which we recommend you check out, but you'll get an interesting sneak peek here today. So. Welcome, PK. Hello. <laughs> so good to be here with both of you. What a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, let's open it up. I mean, tell us a little bit about your book. I've seen you online and the book just looks amazing. And, you know, just give us a 10,000 foot view. Oh, thanks. Absolutely. So this book came out of my many, many, many years of research, not just on why what we eat impacts our own body, what people think about when they think about nutrition, right? How what we eat impacts our own health, disease risk, but also how food impacts the environment, how it impacts society, how it impacts the economy. So really one of my favorite quotes of all time, and it's actually on the first page of the book is by Kurt Vonnegut. So it is basically talking about food in the big picture and it's, oh my gosh, too much wine, too much wine. Um, <laughs> what? My favorite quote ever. Um, she hasn't drank that much. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that was before. Yeah, I thought that before I got Give here. Give us 30 okay, minutes. I that before I got here. It'll come to her after You're another glass of wine. But that's okay. No, I mean, readers will what have an opportunity. Wrong with me? Readers will have an opportunity to see it for themselves. What we're really excited about having you here in the studio is answering some of the questions that we get frequently. Um, as we kicked off this season, what we hear is, I just don't know. What do I eat? Like, what should, right, what right, is the right. right diet? There's so many fads out there. What do I follow? And Taylor, you know, being a food and nutrition expert touches upon this, but we haven't yet had the conversation across both food and nutrition experts. So I'm sandwiched between two. So I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wait, and by the way, I got to interject. <laughs> when it comes right down to it, food is practically the whole story every time. You know, when you get right down to it, food is practically the whole story every time. And I love that. It always resonated with me and it's changed the whole course of my life. And so I practiced science for many, many years and studied how what we eat impacts our health, as I was saying, but then really broadened it. And the book came out of teaching about all things food nutrition from farm to fork. So I'm very different from other nutrition people who are kind of just focused on health right. or maybe ag people who are just focused on climate. Really, I'm looking for the win-win for everyone um, and for to broaden people's food literacy, just be 
beyond their own health. And right. I think that's really important. Well, and one of the, so I was really excited for two reasons to have you on the show. Um, one, you have a, a background in research where you look at how food affects chronic disease. So we're very right. similar in right. that aspect. But exactly. two, how I think we're really similar is you're an academic at heart and you've went out now and your whole goal, we were talking about this before the show started, is to really communicate nutrition science to the average consumer. And I really commend you for that because I've been doing kind of the same thing the last yeah, couple yeah, of years. And yeah. let me tell you, a lot of other researchers love to throw rocks at people like us, but like there is a real need for strong oh. scientists to be out there in the media. Oh, absolutely. And exactly why I did leave my full-time academic job because it became frustrating to know all that we know in the university and yet people are wondering about what to eat. Right. And, you know, I'm sure we'll get into this, but the fact is there is at least some consensus, you know, right. about a, some basic stuff. And right. guess what? People just don't do it, you know, right. but it's hard for people to know that when we're so influenced by celebrity nutrition, by what right. I call single study sensationalism, like the study du jour that you see flit across your newsfeed may or may not be consensus. Ooh, study du jour, good. Yeah. yeah. Like so, yeah. Well, so, let, so let's talk about that for a minute because, you know, that's a big issue you know we have people uh that tweet into the show you know about a certain study all the time yeah, you know you're yeah. always hearing about yeah. that then when the media contact you this study says xyz but it's really about the totality of evidence exactly. and people don't really understand that yeah, exactly how can like people like you and i you know that are researchers by heart how do we better communicate nutrition science in that aspect because the media is sensationalized so that one study right? is so saturated right 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 yeah. i mean there's so many ways but one of them is you know good storytelling you know the onus is upon us good storing people and storytelling and reaching people where they're at you know um because just kind of preaching to people and just telling the stats as, as many of us know, doesn't work. You know, people's right. people needs need to fit things into their own life, into their own culture and their own tradition. So it just is very important to be cognizant of all that, you know? And so good, being a good science communicator, obviously. And I right. think though, another thing that is science literacy is really important. And we know uh, this is probably getting kind of beyond where we need to be for today's show, but you know, it's really taken a hit you right. know, in elementary schools. And you have a lot of people that just kind of don't understand basics about science and the scientific right. method. And then that makes it hard for them to say, hey, you know what, that is kind of a cool study, just like I do yeah. when I see and say, but you know what, wait, what's the context right. there? How can they how can they tell like what right. should they take seriously yeah. versus not? Yeah. Okay. Everyone here is kumbaya. I really need to understand <laughs> what to eat. <laughs> so I respect so much that you left academia to really communicate, to speak, right. to get the information out there. So let's let's kick it off. Let's talk about diets. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so let's let's ask your your listeners today, or maybe your, your viewers, if you're looking online at the live stream. So, what percentage of chronic diseases do you think are preventable through modifiable lifestyle changes? So, think about a number to yourself. What percentage? Ten, fifty, a hundred. So according to the World Health Organization, 80% of chronic diseases mm -hmm. are preventable through modifiable lifestyle changes, right. like obviously things like exercise and alcohol use and smoking, right. but diet is the single largest contributing factor. This is according to the World Health Organization, who's looking at consensus. Right. Yeah, not that single study, study du jour, right. consensus across all of these studies. Now, okay, so then what does that look like? What is that diet? And by the way, chronic disease, we're really talking about the big ones here, obesity, type 2 diabetes, stroke, okay? And 
they say, along with the Dietary Guidelines for Americans and the Canadian Health Plate, that a plant-based diet is the key. And I didn't say right. vegan, I didn't say vegetarian, I said plant-based. And right. there's a lot of consensus about that. Um, so that's that's kind of a two-part to your answer. And I'm sure we'll get into more about it. And there's, there's no one-size-fits-all when it comes to plant-based, by the way. Right. And we were talking before the show, you know, plant-based doesn't necessarily mean vegan or vegetarian because there are some nutrients that you get from animal-derived foods, you know, namely choline, vitamin B12, you know, bioavailable iron, things like that. But going back, I think what you're right, I think what we can agree on is what constitutes a healthy diet is a diet that's high in fruits and vegetables and whole grains. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Those so are then, the, and that's three quarters of your plate, by the way. If you look at some of right. the pictographics, whether it's the USDA, which has some issues we don't need to get into, right. or if you look at the Canadian health plate, you look at Harvard's healthy eating plate, it's three quarters of the plate is vegetables, fruits, and whole grains that, of course, right. are minimally processed. So you all know that right. listening here. We're not talking about a donut. You know, we're talking right. about whole grains, unre you know, right. unrefined. So you're getting all of your nutrients, your fiber, your this, and your that. Okay, so the food pyramid is accurate, roughly? Well, the well, food no, pyramid is, is no longer. Yeah, it's, it's past that. <laughs> that's now oh, my plate. That, that's, that's so 2005. <laughs> For those of you viewers who are interested, you can go to choosemyplate.gov. It has yes. some really good information. It really For does. For those of you who are it a little does. older, like um, <laughs> Dr. S over here, that would have been the old food pyramid that went away in 2000. Yeah, we're all about 10? circles now. Yeah, there's there's circles. no triangles. Okay. <laughs> it's all about circles. All right. I like but that. They no changed it. And yes. well, it's better also. It's really, it was a really nice evolution, actually, because right. you see right there, wow, okay, three quarters of the plate is is plants, you know? Right. And that's not even to mention that most people should be eating more plant protein. Um, so more beans, legumes, and things like that. And again, you could still have some right. animal animal products for those that so choose. Right. But you know, people, most people aren't getting enough. And beans and legumes, for example, depending on how you cook right. them and how they're eaten both a vegetable as well as a, a protein source, right? Well, and it's, they're so good for you because they're yeah. so rich in minerals, which we know minerals yep. like magnesium, yep. you know, we just don't consume enough of yeah. in the American diet. Yeah, so. and very important for, for I'm very blood. pro legume. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, so very, very important can, for blood sugar control. You can right. understand why it's confusing when it's constantly changing and there's just a new, you know, uh, study du jour or a celebrity putting something out there. So let's just like bust, bust some myths, right? Oh, that was absolutely. hard to say. Why was that so hard <laughs> bust to say? Myths. Bust uh, myths. Wine. Why <laughs> has paleo, keto, dash, why have these diets become so popular and then just reverberate through these eco chambers where I know people that swear by them because their friend told them about it. Exactly. Or their uncle. Let's start with paleo. Why is paleo a thing? Is it a thing? Well, if I could jump in, I will just say, first of all, paleo is based on what our ancestors might or might not have, you know, consumed 10,000 years ago. You know, our ancestors only lived to be about 25 years old because they suffered severe vitamin deficiencies <laughs> and, you know, they got ate by wild animals. I don't know. There's like a whole bunch of reasons that they didn't live right. to be over the right, age right, right. of 30. So I'm not sure we can really compare that to what, you know, a 70 year old, you know, should eat today for prevention of chronic disease. And do they even eat so, meat? Okay. So here, let me, yeah, that that's a great place to start. And we can obviously talk the entire rest of the show about just this one myth. But um, here's the thing that it's a really interesting example for several reasons. Firstly, the Paleolithic diet actually has a number of different legit 
researchers who are very, very interested in this and not just in nutrition, but also in right. anthropology. I mean, it's really fascinating to think what right. did our ancestors eat millions and millions of years ago, right? Um, but part of how it evolved as like the paleolithic diet is due to something called the evolutionary discordance hypothesis. Mm -hmm. And since we have a science, science audience here, I'm just going to say a tiny bit about it. But let me, what does that mean? It means that there's a discord between what we ate then and what we eat now. And is that why we have more chronic disease? But the bottom line is that so much else has changed. Right. So right. you can't attribute it just to, okay, well, we started domesticating grains and animals during, you know, the right. agriculture revolution. And I, and I talk about all these things in my book. Specifically, the question is, you know, what's the deal with the paleo diet? But this is, you need to understand all this to understand that, yeah, there's some science there, but does right. that mean you can say that, oh, therefore that's better? Well, no, there's that's, some science behind yeah. most diets. Yeah. I mean. And and also one last thing I'd want to mention, and this is a really big shock to people, but guess what? We weren't originally hunter-gatherers. We're gatherer scavengers. That's what we were originally. Okay. So we didn't start hunting until we created tools. That happened like couple million years after we came down from the trees. So we originally scavenged dead animals when we could, but we mainly gathered fruits, berries, nuts, all those things. Um, and so that's what we did. And then again, of course, early on we did it, but the paleo diet, that being like filled a plate, a meat, a plate filled with meat, that really wasn't a thing. And it certainly wasn't filled with bacon. Right. And guess what? There was no coffee or alcohol. So people sort of, yeah. you know, take these one snippet and go to this major place that is really not even supported. Well, and you know, we were kind of geeking out at the big, you know, right before the show started. And I was telling you about the paper, the big review we just published on, um, fruit and vegetable intake and all different types of disease risk. Uh, but one of the things we found in the paper, if you look, not all fruits and vegetables are created equal yeah, when it sure. comes to, you know, the science, yeah. dark color berries, citrus fruits, dark green leafy vegetables, cruciferous vegetables. But if you kind of think about it, that's what those like, you know, scavengers were, you know, they weren't necessarily, you know, harvesting wheat you know, out of the, out of the field, they were picking blackberries or they were getting oranges or, yeah. you know, so it was mostly a vegetable. Yeah. yeah. It's mostly vegetables and fruits for sure. No, yeah. we didn't start domesticating grains until 12,000 years ago right. in the first agricultural revolution. So that is legit to say that, okay, well, but again, meaning that's legit that that happened, but that doesn't mean therefore that you, right. they don't have the health benefits to offer. And not right. to mention, if we want to fast forward to let's be real, we're here in the 21st century right. and there's lots of ways you can create lots of different diets, but we're going to come back to still loaded up right. with vegetables and fruits, obviously largely un unprocessed. That's going right. to be best but for isn't you. There's something to be said for living better, living longer, living healthier, and then the changes that have been made over time to get us there. So haven't we learned from well, pre-existing prehistory? Earlier diets, and as we progressed, we've gotten smarter and better about it by including in additional additional sources. Well, I mean, everything is informed by scientific discovery, innovation, and engineering. So right. that's actually a major theme of my book. And you know, we were talking a little bit about food processing before. Our, our food supply is healthier and more plentiful than it's been right. at any other time throughout right. human history, and we're also healthier. There's also a whole bunch of issues. We also have chronic diseases and right. we have a huge amount of, let, let's not even talk about hunger, malnutrition. I mean, we have copious problems when it comes to food nutrition, not to mention climate change and food waste. And again, all these are in my book and we, we know about all these things. But yeah, let's not lose sight of the big picture too, that science and technology has have given us incredible tools. Well, and you know, as that kind of hunter gatherer, humans have evolved to 
deal with starvation. We've never, uh, evolution has not like equipped us to handle over nutrification, which is what you see today with the obesity crisis. Right, right. Yeah, for sure. These are like two sides of the same coin though. Malnutrition and obesity, right? They're both. They well, can obesity coexist. is a type of malnutrition, sort of, technically. Yeah, right. obviously, one overnourishment and yeah. one undernourishment, and, and right. they can at least, you know, you can be obese and still be malnourished when it comes to if you're lacking right. certain nutrients. So, and so in fact, we've shown that's a lot in our research that people who are bit. overweight and obese tend to have more micronutrient insufficiencies yeah. and even deficiencies than normal weight people and because the balance, the okay. diet is right. just not balanced. So right. we did paleo. Another popular one is keto. Should keto. I just drink? whole milk and eat chocolate definitely not (laughs) (laughs) but any more so than we should all just drink all this wine all the time i mean balance right right? balance is such a key thing as much as there's complexity about food and nutrition obviously there's also some of course but okay keto diets and then definitely jump in but keto diets have been known to be related to decreasing and managing epilepsy for decades right okay this is known clinically we know this how it became a fad diet you kind of were asking about it like fuck if i know man and there are other ones too that's just like a carnivore diet, just like a dude, <laughs> like being like, oh, do this. And it's just like, wait, I'm sorry, what is your background? What is happening here? So it's kind of strange. But by the way, ketosis is a thing. So nutrition is right. biochemistry. So if you get your body into ketosis, yes, you'll burn more fat. But we kind of, you know, the body, human body kind of likes carbs and so does the brain. So in terms of a sustainable diet, right. you know. So that's, that's kind of my quick take so on it. What do, you, what do you think? Don't expect to have like any smart conversation with somebody on keto. Well, I, I tell you, I have. Well, this is a smart conversation. Yeah. But you know what I mean? This is real biochemistry. No, but somebody actually on yeah, the keto diet. Yeah. Sure. But I'm saying it's, it's so odd how it's really based in clinical science and then it became well, this thing. Right? You know what's really funny? My opinion of keto and low carb diets has really, really evolved, particularly over the last year. Yeah. Um, because like you said, if you're epileptic, absolutely. You know, if you, you know, cut off that glucose to the brain and you give it ketones, it can function. And you see these kids that have, you know, a hundred epileptic, you know, episodes a week go down to like one or maybe not even that. So, I mean, you know, definitely if you're epileptic, um, when it comes to weight loss, it's really interesting because certain people swear by it. Um, But Kevin Hall, who is a friend of mine and an excellent researcher out at the National Institutes of Health uh, right outside of D.C., just came out with a clinical study about a year ago uh, where he put, and again, it's a small study, it's 17 people, um, but he did a what we call a controlled feeding diet. So he kept them at NIH for several weeks and for a couple of weeks, he had these overweight and obese uh, individuals on a high carb diet. And then they had a washout period or a period in between. And then he put them on the ketogenic diet. Yeah. And really, he found no difference in the amount of weight loss. And so which was really surprising to me because you know, clinically you see patients that just swear by it. And honestly, like before I go to the beach on the 4th of July, like I'll admit it, I've done the fed <laughs> diet for a month to lose that five pounds, honey. You know, I'm trying to get a husband child. Like, you know, like Hey, I will and drop we're that. All five human. We're all human. Yeah. Well, and that's exactly what I was going to say. In fact, first of all, a couple of things, you can lose weight on any diet. 
let's just throw that right out there and be really clear. Other you confounding can, factors. Right? You can well, uh, no, it's just energy balance. You could lose weight. A very clever nutrition yeah. scientist, not me, once showed that you could lose weight on the Twinkie diet. Right. Just freaking whatever. Right. You just manage your calories. Right. So, and there's been a lot of research, clinical trial as well as observational studies, that the biggest factor that impacts how much weight you lose on a diet is what? What do you guys think that is? Is it carbs? Is it protein? Is it fat? Is it that macronutrient balance? What is it? Carbs. No, it's adherence. It's what right. can you fucking stick to? Right. Oh what can God. you stick to? I've been told carbs are the root of all evil. No, and then you, and people were told earlier fat. That's not. We need them all, and so many different balances can work depending right. on your tradition and culture. And we know that from anthropology. You, you know, and history. Uh, I um, it's what works. I argue all the time with uh, Allison Stiber, who's a dear friend of mine. She's chief science officer at the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, and she is so pro carb. And I actually think that the carb recommendations are too high because, as nutrition scientists, since like the '60s, we've been saying. 45 to 65% of your calories is carbs. Well, that's okay if it's like fruits and vegetables and whole grains. And right, I don't consider right. bread a whole grain, you know, even though it has the 100% whole grain thing on it. Like it also has a bunch of starches and sugar and stuff like that in it. Depending think, on the bread, depending on the bread. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, depending on the brand and the bread. But I think of something like oats as a whole grain. Yeah, Like oatmeal, like whole yeah, oats is a, a whole grain. So I don't know, I just think, you know, I, I think our dietary guidelines are wrong when they say 50% of your grains is whole grains. I think it should be a hundred percent, but yeah, well, that is absolutely true. And the, yeah. yeah, the Canadian plate does have that. So that was just like it, in, yeah. it, it sort of encourages other things that I yeah. want to really get into, but the way it encourages dairy and meat more than I just think it should is because of the influence of lobbies. And that does happen with, with grains and things like that. And you don't get that as much in other countries, but yeah, it absolutely should yeah. be whole grains. Right. Um, but the, the message about nobody buys fruits and vegetables. So their lobbies are really poor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so oh, exactly. Well, effective. and also, yeah, they don't have, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's exactly. The truth. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. We promise. And it's also, it's, it's not, a, it's not as sexy, you know, eat your fruits and vegetables is not as sexy as the latest, like the keto or the bulletproof or the, this or the, that, or the carnivore. Right. It's all trendy or what Gwyneth Paltrow is doing with the gluten-free like you know no we actually do have some good answers but I did want to also make another point which I think is really important because really there is when you look at consensus depending on you know and I like to go to the World Health Organization for a lot of things because they do it's not just the U.S. perspective and um and it's not just let's say influenced by the same kind of lobbying that is say for example I just compared it to Canadians diet plate but the, the point being that there's actually, and this is from the Institute of Medicine as well, there's a range of macronutrient, macronutrients being fat, carbs, and proteins right. that are that are um, acceptable for a healthy diet, right? right. And for, for weight loss diet. So there's still that piece of what's going to work for someone long-term. And it's I do want to return also to the point about the keto diet or whatever diet you can lose weight on and adhere to. 95% of people who go on a diet right. regain that weight. So it's really nice to lose those few pounds for whatever event. And I hear that, man, totally. You know, we're all human for for better and for worse. It's like you said, it's adherence, isn't it? It, Well, it's adherence and also not just getting off that weight for what is going to work for you for the rest of your life. Right. And that Twinkie diet, by the way, it might be good for weight loss, but it's not going to be good for your risk for diabetes. Well, right. I I will say one thing about the keto diet, um, and that is most fad diets when you go on them, you know, you lower your calorie intake usually yeah, or exactly. you restrict certain right, foods, right. which 
we know lowers your metabolism. And then when you go back to your regular diet, your regular metabolism doesn't just bounce back. So you end up gaining more weight than what you end up losing when you stop adhering, <clears throat> excuse me, to that diet. Right. The keto diet works a little bit differently than that from a biochemical standpoint. Um, you, cause you're consuming the same amount of calories. So your yeah. metabolism kind of stays yeah, the same. You're, you're shifting your So you don't have oxidation. that rebound weight as much as yeah. you do with other diets, but then there's really not a lot of clinical trials on that either. Okay. We are actually at five minutes and which is, oh, wow. is kind of shocking, but not shocking given that yeah. when you're talking about That's your huge. area of expertise and then there's yeah. two of you, yeah. dear God. And it's practically trouble. the whole story every time now <laughs> yeah. that I didn't flub it anymore. It really is. It's huge. It's everything. And there's so much to talk about. Well, I love it because usually when you get two researchers in the room, you have like such diff differing opinions, but you know, we've got some real commonalities in here. And I think that's really important for consumers to hear. It, it, exactly. You guys there need is to consensus. hear where the consensus is yeah, among the experts exactly. and not just listen to whatever is popular and trendy in the particular moment. So keep that in mind. I really want to draw both of you to think about as we kind of round out this episode, what, what is interesting looking forward? We know the facts about the future. We know that we're increasing in population. We know that the planet is warming. We're working against all of those trends, but the reality is that they're happening. So what does that mean for pr food production? What does that mean for coming up with a sustainable future where people are fed well? And I know we all have thoughts on this. So Oh, gosh. So you are our closing <laughs> thoughts. And it's a totally different subject, too. But I will say this and we'll have to leave it and maybe we can have another conversation about it. Yeah. So for me, I'm looking forward and it's sort of extrapolating from from what you said. The future is meatless. And I'm not talking about the future next year or five years or 10 years mm -hmm. or several decades. 24th century, I'm kind of a sci-fi geek and I think a lot about the future of food. I don't think we'll be raising animals for food for all kinds of reasons. But right now, we do need them. People in the developing the world need right. animals, need animal protein, right. need dairy. And so there's exactly. not a one size fits all. Right. And we know that from research as well, yeah. that yeah, um, we have first world, world problems here and first world conversations here about food and nutrition. We just spent all this time talking about paleo and keto. Oh, hey, by the way, 2 billion people are malnourished. Right. A, almost 1 billion are hungry. Right. So we are having a privileged conversation, but what I'm trying to do, and a lot of people are thinking, how are we going to feed 10 billion people 2050? How are we going to feed people sustainably? How are we going to feed people in space? Right. So those are the some, some of the things I think right. about in general and also in my book. But right now, coming back to, we need yeah. all kinds of solutions to make it work right. for people in totally different yeah, environments. Because what we care about here is what diet and what we what yeah. trendy thing because we should we, jump on. Because we have the money to think about it and the privilege and all that stuff. Right. And I totally agree. I think people in the first world consume, you know, too much meat. I'm, I'm guilty of that, mm -hmm. um, you know, like most people in the U.S. And when you do go to third world countries, though, and you look particularly at growing children, they do need the animal protein. And so, you know, I, I think there has to be a balance of that for, you know, sustainability, but also to sustain you know, populations from a nutrition standpoint, it's going to be something that is a huge uh, conversation that I think we frankly have to have as nutrition scientists uh, moving forward. I no, mean, for it's sure. critical. For sure. Okay. So as much as I want to keep this conversation going, this is really painful <laughs> to do because I had a whole list of topics that I wanted to get, <laughs> pick their brains on. And I'm sorry, viewers, that we're not going to be able to get to it this episode, but I promise Tweet at us if you love the conversation between Taylor and PK and myself. We we will definitely take your opinions into account and have many more episodes on these topics. So tweet at us. Invite me back. <laughs> and yes, absolutely. And you can you can see all things PK, Dr. PK Newbie at pknewbie.com. Yes. Thank you. Absolutely.
that's a wrap for today. Have ideas for the show? Tweet us at Dr. Taylor Wallace. That's D-R-T-A-Y-L-O-R-W-A-L-L-A-C-E. And me at Shweta C. That is S-W-E-T-A-C. Thank you for tuning in to Risky Behavior.